0: Welcome to Kashrus On The Air, your weekly radio show dealing with kosher issues, and I'm your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Kashrus Magazine. And tonight's show, we have some very important things to discuss. Uh, not always we so happy, but we have some important things to discuss. First of all, we're going to, I don't know, first of all, I'm just telling you what we're going to cover. We want to uh, fi- uh, finalize on that situation in Pisaic, which we were speaking about last week, uh, Mitzvah Shem will be able to uh, finalize that discussion. Uh, we want to, uh, mention something that's going on in Atlanta. We want to talk about the, uh, very sad passing of Rabbi Zusha Yosef Blech, who was, uh, a major player in the Kashrus world, had a lot of, uh, influence in, in many, many areas, a personal friend and somebody who contributed greatly to Kashrus magazine over the years and we're going to be talking a little bit about him, and we're going to read to you a selection from one of the things that he wrote for us in Kashvis Magazine. And then if I get time, I'll discuss, well, this I have to discuss, uh, about something going on in our neighborhood. I think we'll take that one first, and then we'll get, hopefully, to the Star K, an announcement. Maybe we'll get to the, um, to, the veg- to the fruits, the checking the fruits, so we'll do it next week. So... Let's start with uh, a, a local announcement. A, a few minutes before I, 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 I went to show the Mincha today, a gentleman called me who from our neighborhood here in Flatbush who he says he's part of the Sephardic community from Assyrian, and he's very concerned that there's a store locally over here, but I don't want to mention the name of the store, and I'm not going to go necessarily through the names of the product because I don't want to uh, step on too many toes, and because I'm going to try to handle this myself privately. But I do want people to know, so you'll get an idea. There's a, he told me there's a store in our neighborhood that was selling these two items. One is a cheese, and the cheese comes from a company, which has a very interesting uh, symbol, kosher symbol on it. But that kosher symbol does not represent a, uh, a hashkocha that uh, is, is accepted in the uh, in the orthodox world. And uh, what happened is, I, we don't carry it in our cautious magazine, and the reason I told the owner is uh, because he was self-certifying it. He was giving himself hashkocha. So he decided to give up giving himself hashkocha, and now he, he got some other people involved. So I went to the website just before, after I spoke to this man, and I, before I came here, and I looked on the website, and I'm going to read to you a little bit of what it says on the website. All of our cheeses have the kosher symbol originally made by its owner, and then it mentions his name. Our cheeses are supervised by Rabbi So-and-so, who lives here in Brooklyn, by the way, who says that all the ingredients are kosher and acceptable. Now, that sounds, very good it says supervised it says all the ingredients are kosher and acceptable but it doesn't say that he certifies the product as kosher it doesn't say that the that he took the responsibility for that symbol it doesn't say he takes the responsibility for the cheeses so i went to Shul, the Davin Mincha, and who do you think i see there this rabbi from brooklyn he's there Davin. he's with us and I and I went over to him. I said, uh, you know, I have a. Uh, are you certifying the cheeses from this particular place? So he told me no. I said, but he said, he said, he said, uh, he said uh, on the on the website it says your name. He says, yeah, I said that the the ingredients are kosher. I understand you say the ingredients are kosher. I never heard of such a hard By the way, <laughs> the ingredients are kosher. What does that mean? I mean, you're not there for production. You don't know what's going on. You're not, you know. He said, I don't take responsibility for the cheese just for the ingredients. Whatever that means, I don't understand. And he said that other rabbis take responsibility. I said, but here's what it says on the website. And I handed him the paper, because I wanted to read it to you today. So I, I handed him the paper, and I showed him what it says is that he does. He says, they're not supposed to be doing that. They're supposed to be. Uh, so there we go. That's the cheese. And that's being carried in our neighborhood by a very religious-looking gentleman who runs the store. And people are confused. So this fellow that called me up today, the fellow from the Sephardic world here, a Syrian Jew, he said to me, I mean, he's a totally younger man, but he called himself a Syrian Jew. So he said that he went over to the fellow and he said, how can you carry this? There's no hashgacha. And it's not only that, but he knew it was no good. So 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 the man said to him, well, It's uh you know the people here are not are not that uh, concerned about it. (laughs) You know you're selling it. It's you that have to be concerned because you're selling to them. You're representing it as good, and and if you don't think it's good, then what are you putting it out for? That was case number one. Case number two, same gentleman, same store, although it was a little bit later on, recently, very recently. Fellow, our Syrian friend walks into the into the into the store. I mean, He's got to buy things. I mean, it's nearby his house, so he walks into the store. It's right near here. I'm not going to tell you where, but it's very very near. From where I am now, it's only a few blocks away. So, so he said that the uh, he, he said he walked into the store and he saw they had beech nut cereal without an OU. So he knew that without an OU. It's, it's, it's not going to be necessarily OU. So he called the OU. I don't even, I, I, he, I, I wished he would have known even without calling the OU, but he called the OU and the OU told me yes, if we don't have our symbol on it, it's treif. It's made on non-kosher equipment and then luckily it's treif. <laughs> it goes back to the gentleman who's selling it, the, the the Hamish-looking gentleman who's selling this to all these people in our neighborhood over here. And he said, uh, you know, what's going on here? He says, well, in our neighborhood, again, the same thing, you know, people, they're not so careful, and then it's fine. It's really kosher. I said, but the, he told him, but the OU said it's not kosher. Not just that it's not under a hushkoch, it's not kosher. It's made on non-kosher equipment because they do meat products there, and it's non-kosher equipment. And when we that's when we go and make the OU that we cash the whole equipment. So I don't know what's happening in that store, but I'm going to try to handle this. However, I'm just making you people aware that just because you see a religious man selling things in a store, he may be thinking that you don't care. So he carries it. So that's something that you have to be on guard for any way you are in the whole world. Another uh, little thing here... Um, I don't want to waste too much time because I, I have to get to main topics here. But I think we should at least discuss what we talked about last week. So last week, we were talking about this store, this, this restaurant, that closed up in in Passaic, New Jersey. Waschka removed its Ashkacha. The store closed. And uh, as far as I know, it's going to stay closed. I'm not sure if it's going to open again. And the, the store is called JIN, J-I-N. And they was a concern, maybe there was non-kosher in there, maybe that was the reason why the hashkocha removed itself. There was an interim statement, I didn't bring it here, but I read it last week, basically, that they're uh, they're looking into the matter, and they'll report back when they have a clear idea, they'll report back to the to the community. So now, if you haven't heard about it, I'm going to read the little letter to you, it's not email, whatever it is, it's a short piece. Further statement of passaic clifton Kashrus regarding Jim Restaurant. Effective January 8, 2018, PCK, that's the passaic clifton Kashrus organization, the PCK suspended its supervision of Jim Re- Gin Restaurant, located at 227 Main Avenue in Passaic, pending investigation of whether the amount of poultry purchased by the restaurant corresponded to the amount that it sold. In other words, they were selling it seemed they were selling more than they actually bought, which obviously that's the sign that something came in that maybe wasn't really kosher or wasn't acceptable to the kosher agency or whatever. It just didn't jibe. PCK has now concluded its investigation, which was conducted in consultation with outside Kashrus and food industry experts, including Rabbi Yosef Eisen, rabbinic administrator of the Vada Kashris of Five Towns in Far Akaway. And I would like to add, he is the, the main uh, kashris advisor for the uh, Kehila right here in, 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 in Brooklyn, Kehila Kosha. And uh, Rabbi Yaakov Luban, Executive Rabbinic Coordinator at the OU Kashrut Division. No non-kosher food was found at the restaurant. Nor can PCK otherwise conclude that any non-kosher food had ever entered the establishment. Rumors to the contrary are entirely unfounded. But no one's saying that they didn't. That they can prove that it's not. Never came there. They're just saying we'd have no proof that, that anything non-kosher came in there. But obviously, the, they don't say that there was nothing strange about the, the numbers. They didn't say that the numbers that didn't jibe, jibed. They said they didn't say that at all. They just said they looked into it because the numbers didn't jibe. They said that they didn't find any non-kosher that was ever found in a restaurant, or they can't conclude that they took any uh, non-kosher into the restaurant. And any rumors that they actually saw it, or they actually know it, are false. PCK also consulted with Zakan HaPoiskimba America, Harav Dovid Feinstein Schlitter, who has confirmed that there is no need for consumers to kasher any kalim. In other words, the Kalacha says that you don't have to kasher any kalim, which means that when you have a shila, let's say, for example, I bought something and afterwards there was a shilo that they made, they, they found that some of the meat in the area was treif. And it was in that store maybe even was treif even in that store treif was but you bought your your meat beforehand it's in the freezer and it was not known at, at that time when you bought it it was not in it was not in any way known so then uh, the halakha says you could eat what you have in your freezer that's the halakha i mean that's not uh, that's something we learned and uh, we teach in yordeya that's a, a straight halakha but that doesn't say anything about what was in the store it says that you if you bought something you could, uh, as David Feinstein says, you don't have to Kashi or Kalem. And then it has the names of the signatures, which are five, four rabbis in Passaic Rabbi Sachs, Rabbi Cohn, Rabbi Speer, and Rabbi Weinberger. Now, what I wanted to say just to finish off here is like this I'm involved a little bit in this. I'm working, I, uh, they didn't ask me to, but I'm involved in a little bit. Of it, and I'm, and I'm trying to have a little bit of uh, input in, in the things that are going on over there. And uh, it, it, But it, you see clearly that they didn't find anything that they saw was definitely trafe. But obviously, something was amiss. And uh, people have to realize that many times when a store closes, or when the hashkoch has been removed, especially when it says those beautiful words, we've taken the off for gross, cashless violations. When they, those buzzwords are there, they could just mean he's not paying his money and he's not, he hasn't been answering, he hasn't been doing everything we want him to, but sometimes it really means that they have real suspicion. And, when they, and, so, and you never know about it because the announcement in the paper just looks like they're taking off the Hoshkocha. And sometimes they won't even say it in that, in that announcement. There were two store. There were two restaurants in Manhattan that were selling treif, mamish treif. Not a question about it. And there wasn't a zeicher ba'alma. And no one ever found out that there was. I happen to know, but the but the, nobody was able to figure out that they were selling treif in the store. They removed the hashgacha, and the store is closed. Yes, that was done, but the information that it was treif in the we never found out. So that's a problem. And it's it's something that people should be aware of. That when you see a, a place that is uh, the hashgacha has been removed, you really do have to find out to the best of your ability what the story is. Because a lot of times the another hashgacha will come in. Now, if that hashgacha comes in and they they are equally good hashgacha and they feel they can do a good job, and I'm sure that there's the place was not trafe before. But if the hashgacha that comes in is not as strong. Then we don't know. Maybe, uh, maybe there was a real big issue there and, and you'll never find out. So these are things that we have to, as consumers, be aware of. I just wanted you to hear that and I have no statement about it, what's really going on over there, because I do not know and I don't care to find out. I don't care really what happened over there because we all we, we all you know know the this what the, that they took off the Eishkoche, place closed. If it ever opens up again, I don't know if anybody will ever go in there. Uh, but it, it seems to me that, it, that that something was found that was amiss. How bad it was, we don't know, and it's not our business to look into it to that extent. Now, the the main program today. Is going to revolve around my dear friend uh, Rabbi Zussi Yosha Blech, who has passed away, erev Shabbos Kodesh, and whose levaya was yesterday in Baltimore. Now he lived in Muncie. He passed away in Boca Raton, where he was residing, and he uh, and the levaya was made in 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 Baltimore, where he learned. Uh, Rabbi Blech, if you didn't know about him, he was uh you know uh, he he was a kashrus personality who everybody consulted you i can't even fathom how many hushgokhos went to him for advice khaside shoshgokhos other hushgokhos eventually you know he it, almost every hushgokho that that's worth anything he had his hand in they they consulted him they asked him to uh to do some work for them uh, he wrote for them, you know. He met with them. He, he he took pieces of the of the things that were hard for them, and he did it. And this was a man that was, was was in demand by everybody. And what I liked about him the most, and I wrote this little thing in my magazine too. For the I wrote it last night, is his cell phone. You could reach the man any time, day or night, on his cell phone. And he didn't not answer. He was always available for anybody. Sometimes it was somebody, you know, asking a question like I did or, or you know, discussing an article with him. And sometimes it was somebody that was irate, didn't like the hashgacha that he did, or how could you give such a hashgacha, that kind of situation. Whatever it was, he was available. There isn't a man in the Kashras that I know that is available as he is. He put his cell phone in the, in the listing we have in the Kashras magazine of all the ashkoches. He put down his cell phone and he always took that cell phone. He answered everybody's question. I sent him, I don't know how many questions I sent him. People would call me up with a difficult thing and I, I couldn't handle it. So I said, why don't you call Rabbi Blech? And they always got through, and he always he always helped them, and he was just that way, you know. Doesn't, it did nothing mattered. He was just a very fine, helpful in, individual, extremely capable, brilliant, brilliant, and brilliant. How about a book that he wrote? It's called Kosher Food Production. at the audacity to write about kosher food production? That means everything under the sun. You're writing about meat and milk and cheese and 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 uh, ingredients and uh, chemicals and production facilities and equipment. You mean you could write one book like that? one man can write a book like that? Rabbi Zusha Blech wrote that book, over a thousand pages. It sells for over a hundred dollars. It's in use he 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 he, uh, he he Americanized it enough that all that, that many 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 big businesses bought the book companies they want to know what kosher is all about and how to do it they he wrote the book on it. that's the man. I'm not exaggerating over a thousand pages. it's like five books in one no it's like t- 50 books in one because the intricacy. To be adept in any one of these areas takes a man a whole life. And this gentleman was adept in all of these areas at once, in addition to his learning and the the, the classes and and Yeah, yeah. this was Rabbi Zushi Yosef Blech. He was, did he say a leading cautious expert. Let me tell you about the Leviah. You could, by the way, if you want to get a tape of the leviathan I don't have available tape. I, I did take a tape. It was not a good one and I, I only took part of it so I don't really want to give it out. But you could get one, I believe, from the Star K. If you contact the Star K, Star K is a 410-484-4110, you could call Star K and you could get a, probably a copy of the tape of the Leviah. It's not long. It's, it's not half an hour. Um... It was just three people who gave who gave hespedim. It was Rabbi Moshe Heineman, who was the head of the uh, Star-K. It was Rabbi Tzvi Rosen, who was a uh, it was a person who works in the Star-K, and who had been a chaver a of uh, Rabbi Blech for his whole life. They went to school together in yeshiva in Ney Israel, and Rabbi Blech got smicha from Ney Israel, got smicha from Rabbi Ruderman directly. He uh, he he went on, after that, he went to um, 15 years, he was, oh, he was a Rebbe for, for some while, I don't know how long that was, he was a Rebbe, out there in uh, in Baltimore, and then he went to, for 15 years to the OU as the Midwest Representative, I'm sorry, Midwest Regional Director for the OU Kashvis Division, and his main job was to learn everything to milk everything out of Rabbi Goldswig. See before Zusha Bloch came on the scene there was a brilliant gentleman who never had a piece of paper was all in his brain and he knew everything about everything about everything Rabbi Goldswig is still you know I think he still has his and he um and he was he, he was uh doing everything in his brain and the OU said this is impossible we need to get everything in our system we need to know it be able to back it up with the written documentation we've got to change the system to can't be just in the brain we're talking about you know it was the year 2000 or whatever maybe it was before 2000 and probably it was before 2000 maybe it was in the 1990s or something and we've got to get this up to where we are now so they said they they assigned Abezusha to shadow Rabbi Goldschweig, to spend the time with him, to go with him, to study everything with him, to learn everything from him. And Zusha had a brilliant mind and soaked it all up, and was able to synchronize it. I, I first met Zusha when he was uh, <laughs> he was he was an expert in for the OU in in Manhattan on cheese. Uh, maybe he was no, he was in Stumpside. He was still in. I first met him he was still in Chicago, uh, studying uh, on the Gold, Rabbi Goldschweig, and, uh, he, he, he uh, let me tell you what, <laughs> let me explain to you what this man was like. In the 1980s, they first had, you know, our co- kind of computers that we have today. The PC that just came out in 1980. I had one of the first computers. It just happened to be that I got stuck with one. <laughs> I didn't plan to get into it. I can't, if I would tell you how much I spent for it, you would faint. You could get, not ten. You could get fifty computers today, probably, for what I spent for one computer in nineteen eighty. But I had to get it because I was committed to it because I made a deal with somebody, and he and he wanted and he 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 went away and he and he said I have to take the, the computer from him. So all right, I took it. So it cost a fortune. So at that time, we didn't know what we were doing. We were just plunking around. It was old system completely, but Rabbi Zusha Blech knew computers he figured it out i mean he didn't invent anything in the, that i know of in computers but he figured it all out and he was doing sophisticated things that's when we first met and he was working for the ou and he and he knew cheese he was an expert in, in milk and cheese and he gave these unbelievable lectures and you know at the ou offices and then when the aco organization was starting i mean he was he was a powerhouse all the years And one of the times i remember Disagreeing with him, arguing with him, discussing with him—was it was at an echo meeting? Um, I believe that was him. Maybe, maybe I got it confused. Maybe it was somebody else. But it, in any event, Rabbi Blech is always right. <laughs> he knew everything, and uh, so so I I got I got sidetracked here. I was telling you a little bit about his life history, and then after uh, he went to the OU, he went on his own, and he created an organization up. In Muncie, uh connected to a shul, and uh, it, that was his organization, his conscious organization. And after that, he went to um, he, he he went to uh, the uh, Earth Kosher. He, he was associated with Earth Kosher for many years, and he's been the you know backbone of that. But before that, he worked with many of the major kosher organizations in this country and out of this country. Rabbi Heineman said that he that almost every major Kashrus organization in the world he worked with. That's what he said almost every I mean, in the world It means that it didn't work for them necessarily. Maybe he worked with them. Maybe they consulted him, et cetera. but he definitely had association with them. I remember one of his um very successful. Exposures was, was a Kashris organization, MK, in Montreal, Kashris. That's one of them that he uh, had a very active hand in. And he was writing articles for them at the same time he was writing articles for me. And we produced maybe 15 articles from him. I'm just guessing. I don't know if it was exactly 15, but uh, something like that. And then uh, he he went to this earth kosher where he was working together with Rabbi Goldman and uh and, and and what what I wanted you to know is that Rabbi Blech was not afraid to take a hashkocha. He was not afraid to take hashgacha because that's really many people are intimidated, but he was never intimidated. He took the if it was legitimate, etc. He didn't get afraid of, for taking that step. And in many cases, uh, he he moved in because the community didn't want to give the hashgacha. But they gave him permission to do it. His organization was Kehila Base Ben Sion. Kehilas Base Ben Sion in Muncie. That was a sim- symbol based on that. But he, when he went to the, um, w- when he went to the, to uh, to a community and he put in the Hashkocha that they didn't necessarily want, it was the Hashkocha in the community who said, we don't want that, but you should come in and do it. <laughs> then very often when he did it, they wanted him not to do it. It seems like because it was a very they very difficult ashkakhas. There were some things that were they rubbed the community the wrong way. But sometimes they felt they needed it. So this is the kind of Hashkachs that he had and, and because of that a lot of people couldn't understand him. They they always thought he um that that he was compromising, which he wasn't. And the the Hashkachas that he had were always very, very well run. And very responsible. As far as I know, and I've, I've followed up on many of the uh, conversations. I would come back, somebody would come back from Pesach and fetch about uh, what went on in a hotel. So I, I'm like a, you know, a naive kind of person. I always follow everything. Everybody, you tell me this, I'll go there. I don't care. So I call him up and I talk about the hashgacha. He says, "What about this?" I said, "But that." He answers it. This, that, this. each thing he had the answer for, and he was he was on top of his hashgacha, and uh, he was right. Uh, the fellow who goes to the went to the hotel, he he uh, doesn't know all the ins and the outs of kashrus and even all the ins and outs of Shabbos, etc. So a lot of times, people couldn't understand why he was doing this or that, or why he let this happen or that happen, and. Uh, they didn't understand him, and he was really maybe ahead of his time. And definitely, he loved people. He loved people, and he helped them in every single way. Never, never... And by the way, if you if you, if you want to know not just that he was a nice fellow he helped, he always was upbeat, he always had a smile, always a joke, always something to, to make people feel good. And even his articles read that way. They were, some of them were deep. The one I have here is not deep. Some of them were very deep, but always with a sense of humor. Always with a, he had to have that little thing. And I would sometimes want to take something out and, and he would argue with me that, no, you can't take that out. I need that in there because I need that little that little joke or that little thing. that That's important. You know, he always, he had the, the Talmud Chacham the ability to know Kashus on this level, the menschlichkeit, to deal with people the way he dealt with them, even when the people were hard with him, to always deal with people like that, it, it takes a special person. It, and that's what he was. Uh, and I, and uh, the other third speaker was the son. And his son, unfortunately, didn't know much about this whole involvement with the Kashus world. Didn't know him when he was learning in yeshiva. He went through shas a few times when he was in yeshiva. A few times he went through shas when he was in yeshiva. So he didn't know all about the background of his father, and he has relationship with his father as a son, you know, in the activities whatever they had together. But uh, the people who knew him in the professional world had the highest respect. And it was a very devastating loss. Let me read you this article. I, I, I don't have uh, a lot of stuff left there afterwards, but we'll go through this article. How about the date? September 2001. Kashrus Magazine, September 2001, page 84. Section called Halacha by Rabbi Zusha Yosef Blech. What could be sweeter than honey? And he quotes a pussock from, that's the pussock. From Shoeftim, Yud Dalid Pasuk Yud Ches. What could be sweeter than honey? As Jews throughout the world usher in Mosh Hashanah, they use honey to symbolize their hope for a good and sweet year. We tend to use the concepts of goodness and sweetness interchangeably. And since times of antiquity, honey has served to symbolize the sweetest of foods. It's for this reason that the Philistines retorted to Shimshon, what could be sweeter than honey? That's what he said in Shoftim uh, Yudalad Yudches. That's what the Philistines said to Shimshon. What is common to all original sources of sweetness is that they're based on various types of sugar. While sugar satisfies a natural craving, it's not without its downsides. Too much of any good thing can lead to trouble. And sugar is no exception. Sugar is the quintessential source of energy. And most foods, when digested, are metabolized by the body as basic sugar. We call glucose. Recognizing the importance of this nutritious commodity, the body will save the energy in sugar not needed at any given time for a rainy day as fat. So you have the sugar by turning it to fat. While some stored fat is necessary, too much is not very desirable. Since sugar is a major source of calories in the diet, much effort has been made to find ways of sweetening foods that reduce or eliminate the use of sugar. Sugar may pose other health concerns. Common table sugar, sucrose, is comprised of fructose and glucose and a diabetic must sharply curtail his intake of this material. Sugar also supports the growth of the bacteria that cause decays, caries. Food scientists are a creative bunch and have therefore come up with a variety of ways of providing sweetness to foods without actually using sugar. It's indeed paradoxical to note that these alternative sweeteners are often much sweeter than the sugar they replace, turning the Philistine's query above on its head. In other words, (laughs) there are things that are sweeter than sugar. But just as sugar is not a panacea, sugar replacements pose their own set of concerns. The purpose of this article is to outline some of the interesting kashris issues that they may pose. Sugar substitutes can be divided into three categories. Modified sugars, proteins, amino acids, and synthetic chemicals. Again, modified sugars, protein, amino acids, that's one group, and synthetic chemicals. Many synthetic chemicals have no nutritional value, and hence, no calories. Other sweetening agents, while having some calories, are so intense that they can be used at very low levels thereby conveying the desired sweetness with a negligible number of calories. Still, others may contain a significant number of calories, but are metabolized in such a way that they avoid certain health concerns. Each type poses its unique and interesting cashrase issues. Saccharin was first discovered in 1879 and is one of the most widely used synthetic sweeteners. It has no caloric value and is about 500 times as sweet as sugar. (laughs) It is sold in tablet form and as a powder blend. Tablets are generally measured in grains. Uh, And then one quarter grain tablet has about the same sweetening power as one level teaspoon of sugar. Saccharin is in a class of chemicals called petrochemicals synthesized from petroleum or coal together with other inorganic chemicals and in and of itself poses no cautious concerns. The commercial sweetening compound that contains it, however, do, often do. So when you have the compounds we're buying, when using the saccharin thing, you're buying, uh, you you use that tacharin, you a little packet they give you a, a sweet and low that's got saccharin in it, and uh, you have other uh, ingredients that are added there. For example, this one had cream of tartar, and the cream of tartar comes from grapes. So you have to make sure that, uh, from, from the uh, seeds, and you have to make sure that they've dried out properly and that there's no wine left in it. Forming a tablet that will not decompose in the bottle but will dissolve when needed is a bit complicated. Most tablets in order to function properly therefore contain an inactive ingredients in addition to the active ingredients for which it is sold. Lactose, which is dairy non chalvusrail, and magnesium stearate, which is often derived from animal fat, are commonly used in sacrament tablets to provide bulk and allow for the tableting process. Other ingredients can be added to make the saccharin effervescence, effervescence, effervescence and dissolve quickly when placed in water. Powdered saccharin blends pose their own kosher issues. One of the major shortcomings of saccharin is the bitter aftertaste it imparts to some people. In order to address this concern, ingredients such as cream of tartar derived from grapes and flavorings are often added to mask the aftertaste and such ingredients may pose cautious concerns. Travelers take note all equal that's the brand name of the uh, the sweetener, all equal is not equal. <laughs> that's the way he that's the way he, Rav Zusha spoke. Equal, sweet and low, etc, while certified in this country, may not be kosher certified outside the US the reason is that they often contain lactose dairy non of israel while in this country maltodextrin is used which is not dairy another ironic point that should have been noted with or should be noted with all sweetening powder blends such as saccharin aspartame etc is that some type of sugar is usually the predominant ingredient in the packet Such sweeteners are generally sold to be used as individual servings, typically equaling the sweetening power of two teaspoons of sugar. Since the amount of the actual sweetening agent necessary to achieve this level is quite minute, it's commonly blended with maltodextrin or dextrose to create an easy-to-handle powder. Let me just see this packet, if it has it or doesn't have it. If it has a dextrose. It has calcium silicate, but that's for a, uh, that's anti-caking agent. And yes, that has dextrose. In this one from the Sweet and Low, it says nutritive dextrose. Number two, saccharin, which means there's more dextrose, which means a certain type of sugar, than there is saccharin. So while you're trying to get away from sugar, you got it. While the ingredients do have some caloric value, the amount found in a sweetener, a sweetener packet is small enough for the added calories to be considered negligible. And if you look on the ingredients and all these things that we say zero calories, however, their use does create a pesach concern. While many artificial sweeteners or certain of or certain brands of aspartame may be kosher for Passover, the sweetening blends that contain them. May still contain non-passover dextrose. Indeed, several co- companies make special Pesach productions of their sweetener, using sugar instead of dextrose. Well, you you know that uh, that Coke uses uh, they can't they can't use the um, corn syrup, so they use sugar for Pesach. Cyclamates, and I'm going to try this. Access. Uh, Axisulfame, the K, are other examples of artificial sweeteners whose kosher concerns are essentially the same as those of saccharin. One of the most popular sweeteners today is aspartame, a synthetic a synthesis of two basic amino acids aspartic acid and, I'll try, one phenylaline. Aspartame is a nutritive sweetener. However, it contributes a negligible number of calories to food due to the small amount required to provide the desired sweetness. Since it obtained regulatory approval in the 1970s, aspartame has become the major non-sugar sweetener used in soft drinks and a host of other products. Its use is limited, however, due to the fact that it degrades when heated and is therefore unsuitable For use in baked products. While the ingredient issues relating to dextrose blends and tableting ingredients mirror those of artificial sweeteners, an interesting controversy relates to the Passover status of aspartame itself. L, I said one, it's a mistake, L phenylalanine, I can't pronounce it, is often produced through the controlled fermentation of glucose. Glucose in turn is produced by the hydroly- hydrolysis, in this case the degradation of corn starch, which is called corn syrup. Since the custom amongst Ashkenazim is to prohibit the use of corn, rice, and legumes on pesa because they're kidneous, products containing corn syrup typically are not considered kosher for Passover. However, many authorities consider certain fermentation products derived from glucose, such as enzymes, amino acids, and organic acids, to be acceptable to this general rule and acceptable for Passover use. This is a fancy way of saying that it's a derivative of kidneys. And it's a, uh, and, th- and this thing is, n- or kitten yosha And there are people who are makel, uh, uh, the OU, I believe, is makel on kitten yosha If I'm wrong, uh, you should correct me. But there are, there are many conscious organizations that kitten yosha they accept. Nishtana meaning it's changed. So what he's telling you is that when you make it into an enzyme or an amino acid or an organic acid, even though it, it started off, um, as this is, it's changed so much that it's not called the original. There are three reasons advanced for this opinion. First, these chemicals have undergone a significant change from their original state, which may be considered under the halachic guidelines of nishtana, and thus unrelated to the original base material. Second, in the case of aspartame, the corn-based, here we are again, l phenylalanine has no inherent sweetness. It is but one of the two critical components of yeah the other not being a derivative of corn and it is the interaction between them that creates the sweetening property of aspartame so you got a real changed product as such the concept of ze vize goyrim may come into play to permit the product now i i'm just up to this in, uh, in one of the pieces that i'm teaching you a day i teach you a day four nights a week so uh, uh, the the, uh, the Zevazegorim is something, it's worth learning. I, I, I'm sorry he never explained it, and I didn't force the, the explanation here. Zevazegorim means this and that are causing the result, which means that neither one is doing it alone. That means the Eser, the one that's a problem, in this case, uh, kidney is for Pesach, which is not really an Eser, but which we don't want to use in the Ashkenazic world. So that's causing this reaction. But it's the other thing also that causes it, and they're both necessary, and and you can't do it alone. In such a case, then that sort of nullifies it, and you don't look at the other one as there, because it has now been... Because it's like... It's not being used. It's, it's zev The two things are needed to be able to create the result. So that is a, stickle shtickle for everything. Third, the parameters of the prohibition against kidneys are subject to various customs and many authorities leave the opinion that the concept of kidneys never extended to these types of kidneys derivatives. And then, and that is a very interesting point because when I, before I started anything to do with Kastris, we we in this country were all using. I mean, all I shouldn't say all, but many many people were using peanut oil for Pesach. It was under the OK, and uh, there weren't that many things available for Pesach. And peanut oil didn't sound like uh, corn, so we thought we were okay. But it seems that in certain people had a custom in in Europe not to use peanuts, and then now this was a derivative. It's not a actual thing. The oil, which is, doesn't sound much of a derivative, it's the thing. But it is a derivative because it's not coming, not the actual corn. It's something that came out from the corn. It's called a derivative. And that is a, uh, a derivative of kidneys. People were using it. And that was what was in America, you know, back many years ago. And then we got from her. We decided we're not going to rely on the, those derivatives kidneys. But this is much more removed because you where you're you're creating a new entity, not just you're squeezing it out or you don't find the original corn there anymore. Now you're using it in a way of producing something new. Not, not this nor that, but the new thing. So we have a number of reasons to be lenient to use this for Pesach. Although many kosher-certifying agencies have chosen to avoid this controversy, and not accept aspartame as kosher for Passover, other eminently reliable halachic authorities, poskim, and kosher-certifying agencies follow the opinion that it is permitted. This is the question of kit a very, very hot topic when it comes around to Pesach in a few months. Several new categories of sweeteners have received regulatory approval and are about to enter the market. Of course, they already did. Oh, this is from 2001. Sucralose is the trade name for a chemical that is halogenated sucra- sucrose. Don't ask me to tell you what that is. <laughs> it seems that adding by adding chlorine atoms to a molecule of sucrose, its sweetening power is increased by a factor of 600, and it is not metabolized by the body. It is claimed to have less of an aftertaste than other sugary places and is suitable for use in baked products as well as in soft drinks. The product is kosher and potentially kosher for Passover, and we can expect to see it appearing in many products in the near future. Another sweetener recently approved for use is called Tagatose i never even heard of this one. This product is based upon lactose, which is milk sugar, and therefore poses significant kosher concerns as they relate to a dairy non-chalb Yisrael status. It should be interesting to see if this sweetener retains significant use. I've never heard it being used. While the products discussed above are synthesized, other sweetening agents occur naturally. Although they have not yet been approved for use in the Canada or the United States, they're already commonly used in other parts of the world and may become a factor here. Stevia, which of course is very famous today, right? Stevia is an act- extract of a plant and is the most popular non-sugar sweetener in Japan. Its use in many countries is limited to pharmaceutical applications but its inherent kosher status may make this chemical a potential new sweetener in the future you know when Zushik did this almost 20 years ago actually 17 years ago it was September 2001 so maybe it was like 16 and a half years ago when he when he did this we didn't never heard of stevia and we never heard any of these things. We never even understood what he was saying exactly because it's so complicated and, and so scientific and so chemical. But well, but we knew he was he was he was he was explaining it on our level and so we didn't get all of the, the chemistry, but we got the main points and we could appreciate a little of the sense of humor and, and some of the other ideas that he was putting forth in our brains. But this was all you know, the Stevie, it's interesting how he felt that that was going to make it, and that one did. Other more exotic natural proteins are found in many rainforest plants. I can't pronounce this one. Thormatin, also approved in Japan, is found in a tropical plant that grows in West Africa and is claimed, you ready for this? To be 100,000 times as sweet as sugar. 100,000, we were talking 500, 600, you know, we were talking like, these sound like big numbers, 100,000 times as sweet as sugar. Research is currently being conducted in a number of other plant extracts, and it may be that the rainforest holds the key to the next generation of natural sugar replacers. (laughs) That's a sort of an interesting look in the future. Not all sugar replacers are sweeter than sugar. Sorbitol is hydrogenated glucose, and it is in the category of sweeteners called sugar alcohols. Although sorbitol contributes almost as many calories as glucose, it is metabolized differently and doesn't create an insulin demand in diabetics. So they could have the sorbitol, supposedly. Although it is less sweet than glucose, it can be used to make candies in much the same way that glucose is used. Sorbitol is also used in toothpaste because it does not support the growth of bacteria that cause tooth decay. Now he talks about, I, I may or may not pronounce it right, but that we all know what it is, it's xylitol. It's X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. It's hydrogenated xylose, which is wood sugar. It comes from wood. It's a rather unique flavor and has been approved for use in chewing gum. Lassit- lacti- lactitol is hydrogenated lactose. So we're coming with lactose, which is going to be a dairy and has been approved for the, for use in diabetic approved chocolates. While sorbitol and xylitol pose few cashews concerns, lactitol is dairy and not cholesterol. Since sorbitol is used, uh, usually derived from corn syrup, glucose, Passover sorbitol is difficult to find. Fortunately, Passover sorbitol has been approved, produced from sugar and has made its way into some Passover-approved products. The use of these and other sugars, however, can cause some confusion. By law, products that contain sugar alcohols can be labeled sugar-free, even though using sugar alcohol. Yet they still contain a significant number of calories. One should not consume large amounts of these products under the assumption that they're calorie-free. One should also be aware that they are strong laxatives. And then because this was right before Rosh Hashanah, he says, as Rosh Hashanah approaches, may the decree be a sweet one for us all. Classic, classic, classic piece from a uh, good friend, Lava Shalom, Zusha Yosef Blech Zal, who uh, passed away on Friday, and who uh, they're sitting shiva now in, in Baltimore. It is, uh, you know, it was... It, there were. I, I just picked this one up. I could have picked up another article. I just picked this one up on the way out, and I wanted to make sure that I had a chance to read it to you. And I think you get a feeling for for who the man was, and he was a combination of so many parts, so complex, so interesting, so lovely, such a a, a wonderful man, a sense of humor, and uh, a friend. Uh, I, uh, we just. Uh, I enjoyed the discussions we had. And, uh, and as I said, I always appreciate the fact that that cell phone was never closed and he, you could get him and there was no gyver, there was no haughtiness. It, he, he, he was just, he was there for you. And this was so many people. Let me read to you, we have a couple minutes left. It's a completely different thing. Um, but I, I, I thought we should mention this at least. Next week, I hope to do, about the uh, insect issues with the uh, tubishvat fruits. This is a letter that was written, it was printed in a publication down in uh, Atlanta. The Atlanta Jewish Times. Not much a, 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 not a long letter. It seems that the head of the Kasha's organization there, uh, Rabbi Ru'uven Stein, also a good friend, Uh, He's a director of supervision for the the Atlantic Conscious Commission. He wrote this letter. And there's a lot I would talk, I could talk a lot about it because even though it's a short thing, it's something we all should be doing a little more often. I do it a lot, not necessarily this particular thing. But I, I write those letters, emails, letters. I try to get some changes going on in life. That store in the neighborhood, I'm going to go and get involved in that one. It's, it was written down a few minutes before I left. The I wrote down business before I left the uh, the house, so we'll have to uh, take care of it t- tomorrow. Okay, there's a there's a, a community center down there in Atlanta. It's called Marcus Jewish Community Center, and then this is what Rabbi Stein wrote. For many years, the Marcus JCC, like many communal Jewish organizations, had a kosher-friendly policy on campus. The MJCC required that all programming that served, served food be compliant with Jewish dietary laws. The purpose of this policy was that all Jews could fully participate and be comfortable at these programs. This is no longer the case. As a case in point, the Sukkos farm-to-table program, farm-to-table, in October was not in compliance with Jewish dietary laws. Oh, There there was a kosher food option available, but all the demos, means the the demonstrations didn't could eat from there, and most of the programming were not suitable for the kosher-keeping public. This policy change is disappointing. Of late, organizations tried to be more inclusive, not less inclusive. I encourage the MJCC to return to its previous policy of only having programs that comply with Jewish dietary laws so that all Jews are included and can fully participate. That's, the, that's a simple little letter. And you know something? We should be doing more of those. I, I, I remember from Rabbi Miller's itself, Ravigda Miller taught us to speak up. He didn't write a million letters, but he did write letters. He did write letters to congressmen and to other people and he I don't know if it went anywhere but he knew that he had to do something we're living in this world things are going on around about us and we can't just disregard them uh you know maybe me I can you know uh, I, I can hassle with the people a little more it's not sort of my uh my position whether it's uh, anybody appointed me or not it's uh, what I what I do I sort of mix in and and, and try to create a little bit of better environment but Every person should do it. My goodness, there's so many things that we don't like that we see. Pick up a pen and write it. How long did it take that to write, to write that? That took them 10 minutes, I'm sure. Uh, We have to do more of that. If there's something wrong, speak up. You know, they, they, they say if you see something, you know, say. But I think, it's, I think it's worse. I think we should be speaking up to complain about a lot of things that we do see around this. And I don't think very few, many people take it as their, as their duty. They always think it's somebody else's job to do it. And, of course, if there's a petition, you want my name and you tell me and you beg me, I'll sign the petition. You don't need a petition. If your brain tells you something's going on that's wrong, speak up. You know, a store is selling something it shouldn't sell. As we started tonight with, speak up. You know, an, an organization is not towing the line. Speak up. Uh, there's a community organization here. I'm not going to mention the details. I had a big argument with them. They had. They take. I mean, I'm not. I mean, this area. I mean, with a block from where I am now. I'm sorry. One second. Two blocks from where I am now. There's an organization, and they take the seniors to Manhattan, and they take them to restaurants that are not really properly kosher. Very, 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 very low level. Not the, the things that I would tell everybody not to eat. When they call me up, I say, it's not for you. And they're taking the people there. I went to the I went to the head of the organization and said, you know, we have to stop this. And uh, he said, uh, no, we're not going to. It's it's acceptable. We have rabbis in the community, in this community where I am now, Flatbush. They have rabbis in the community that say it's acceptable to go to that place. I don't know which the rabbis are. So I went to other rabbis. I said, help me out. Can't do it. Too many things we're working on. So there I was. I was alone. And just pushed me aside. And they go out there. They take them all day. Put them in a restaurant where they shouldn't be eating and take them home and that's the daily activity you know we got to speak up and I, I can't do it all alone so if you think of something you, you want me to help you i'll try just like this gentleman called me before he, he tried what he could do with that uh, store and he can't get them to change their policy they're putting out things that are not properly kosher for our neighborhood and he's wearing his big yarmulke and looking very from and and uh, and he's selling it. And they and he they don't understand that he thinks that they're not as from as him. So that's why they enjoy this and they they could have it. He wouldn't eat it, but they could eat it, and they don't understand that. So I I'm going to get involved, and but all of us should try to get involved. Uh, we have a. Um, Amazing issue of the Kashvas magazine, which is completing, hopefully, the end of this week. It'll be out just before Purim, not actually, a month before Purim. So, if you're interested in getting that copy of that, or you want any more information about any of the topics of Kashvas that we discuss here on the air, you can contact us at 718-336-8544. 718-336-8544. And you could uh, email me at kashrus, K-A-S-H-R-U-S, at AOL.com. I want to make one more little freebie here. If anybody would like, I'll send you a, a free copy of Kashrus Monthly. We come out monthly with a uh, update of everything that's going on at Kashrus. It's a uh, very complete document. Nobody has anything like this. And it goes out every month. So if you want to get a sample copy one time, no no charge, just send me the email kashrus at AOL.com and write in the top, uh, sample monthly, sample monthly, and we'll send it to you right away. You'll get January, or if you get too late, you'll get February. (laughs) But either way, send it to us, kashrus at AOL.com, say sample monthly, and we'll send it out to you. And uh, if you want to call us it you can call us at 718-336-8544. I'm not going to send sample copies in the mail. I'm only sending out emails. Thank you very much for listening. Until next week, this is your host, Rabbi Yosef Wickler, editor of Koshris Magazine for Koshris on the air.